When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Welcome to Cavs HQ, presented by Betway. Thank you for joining us on the Cleveland Cavaliers Radio Network. Now, here are your hosts, Tim Alcorn and Jim Jones. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Cavs HQ, presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Great to have you with us on this Tuesday evening. And, of course, for the Cavaliers entering the stretch run following that thrilling win over the Clippers last night in overtime at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse to put the Cavs at 39 and 29 on the season. Well, we've got a pretty special show coming up tonight, Jim. Of course, uh, it's been a little over a year since the passing of our dear friend and Cavalier broadcasting legend, Joe Tate. And recently, the Cavaliers 2022 Wall of Honor class was announced, which includes World Be Free. So we thought it would be really neat to go back into the archives and hear a Cavs HQ show that we did last February, February of 2021, when Joe and World appeared together with you and I on Cavs HQ, just to commemorate the one-year passing of Joe and to celebrate the honoring of World Be Free going into the Wall of Honor. Yeah, Tim, uh, you know, it just seems right to do that because uh, the friendship and respect they held for each other was uh, something to behold. Joe Tate, of course, uh, around our league is known as the best radio broadcaster around. He and uh, the old man McCoy out at Phoenix. And then uh, if you look at World and what he did for the franchise, and we talk about it in, in the commentary, he basically did save this franchise and he's well deserving of the honor. Well, it was an amazing conversation. Uh, Again, it occurred last February on Cavs HQ. So to commemorate the one-year passing of Joe and the Wall of Honor inductee, World Be Free, we thought you, the listeners, would like to hear it. So we'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll go back to February of 2021 as World Be Free and the late Joe Tate joined us on Cavs HQ. So stay with us on Cavs HQ, presented by Betway. 
on the Cavaliers Radio Network. World top of the key, world in the circle, he spins, he shoots, on the rim, in! Ball hit the rim, went up to the air and fell in. World steals it back, throws a 20-footer, good! World with 35, and the Cavs are up again by eight. Dawkins lost the ball, picked it up, blocked by Hinson. Outside the world, world in the backcourt of the dribble. A minute and 10 to go, Cavs are on their way to the playoffs. Into the forecourt, Davis, and this crowd knows it. Oh, my. Goosebumps up and down the arm as that is the legendary Joe Tate with the call of the Cavaliers going to the playoffs back in 1985. That was the team that started the year 2-19 and and then finished 34-27 and after that 2-19 and start to advance to the playoffs. Joe Tate joins us on the line to join in with our conversation with World Be Free. And again, we're happy to uh, orchestrate this reunion of sorts with uh, Joe and World. And before we let you two chat a little bit, uh, Joe, what's your fondest recollection? What's a memory that comes back to you when you hear the name World Be Free? Well, I think it's more than just saying one game or one one basket. It's the fact that World was the guy who saved the franchise. Because when we came out of the dark days of Ted Stepien, there was some concern as to whether or not we were going to make it, period. World showed up and played great basketball. And uh, as you heard there, they got us to the playoffs. I can honestly say that I have had only one serious argument with Wayne Embry over the years, and that was when I told him that I honestly thought that World Be Free's number should go up in the rafters because right. he accomplished as much, if not more, than some of the guys who are up there. So uh, I'm glad at least they're doing some things, World, to uh, recognize you because those of us who were there when we needed you the most, we remember, and believe me, uh, some of those games were exciting and it was strictly the World Be Free show that made it that way. Thank you so much, Joe. That's an honor and a pleasure, really, to hear you say what you said just now. You know, sometimes, you know, people, uh, you know, we we go through life and, and people doesn't realize, you know, how other people think about them. But what you just said right there, when you put it all in one barrel and consider no more. That, that That's even better than my jersey being put up in the rafters for what you just said to me right now. And I mean I'll, that. I'll tell you this, world. Yeah. Well, thank you. There is no doubt in my, you're welcome, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, you were such an important part of the Cavalier franchise, especially coming out of the period of time that we were in. That, uh, And the thing that I remember as much as your baskets and your play on the floor is the fact that you were totally fan-favored as far as your involvement with the fans. In fact, I think if uh, you could somehow take the pictures of you dealing with fans during your time with the Cavaliers and take it now to ball players coming into the league saying, watch this man do his thing with the fans. That's the way you should treat the people who are paying to see you play because you always, I've seen you get out of or lay up lines and all to sign an autograph, take a picture and, uh, 
people just loved it, just absolutely loved it. So uh, your mark uh, is definitely <laughs> on the wall. At, uh, and I, I'll tell you one thing, house. Joe, see, what you didn't see, see, I had to pay those fines, but that was all right, you know. <laughs> 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 I, I, I figured it, it was worth the while, you know. We have 10 people in, then we can make that 20. That was okay. <laughs> but but it was it was a great time and I and I and I'll say it again you know it, it was great having you doing our announcing because the fact that when when you were doing it and even when I was like hurt for games and, uh, and I listened to it on the radio you know and you sound like when you when you listen to you it's like you're right at the game because you, you're so into the game and it, it was just it was it was amazing for me and it's a pleasure for me to know who you are. World, well, one that's, of the, that's great. Oh, that's awesome. Definitely. Again, and, and obviously we're biased because we think Joe Tate is one of the greatest NBA play-by-play guys there ever was. So not only were you able to play for the Cavs and have Joe call your games, you also had two of the greatest PA guys scream out your name with uh, Zinkoff in Philadelphia and, of course, the late, great Howie Chiswick here in Cleveland. When you would hit a three-ball down at the Coliseum, Howie Chiswick would just bring the roof down with his uh, world be free for three. I mean, it was just electric. <laughs> well, I, I remember I remember Dave Zinkoff, but he hasn't called. He didn't call it as much as I, I had it called over in Cleveland because I, I shot the ball a lot more over there. But Doc and it wasn't giving me the ball a lot in Philadelphia. World, I would just like to add to this, just to, just, to, just to give Joe just an endorsement of what Joe said, how close you were with the fans. I was doing basketball camps at the time, and we started advertising around Christmas over to do three campuses at Tri-C College. And I remember that at the time, we had been had our advertising out for guys close to three and a half months. And all of a sudden, I said, you know what? I've got World's number. I wonder if he'll allow us to fly him in one morning early, do the camp, and then send him right back to New York. Because, you know, you wouldn't leave New York. I know that. So, <laughs> so you know, so we could get him back. You're so right. <laughs> we advertised that World Be Free was coming to spend the day with our cameras. World, we went from 50 to 200. You remember those kids? 250, oh, almost yeah. 300 kids. Listen to this, guys. Before the day ended, that's how popular we were. We've never had a camp. I did camps for 30 years at Tri-C College. I've never had anything close to that response. These fans truly love you. Now those fans are grandfathers and grandmothers, but, uh, well, we will never forget you. <laughs> Well, you know what they, you know what they always say, Jim. And before we we do go off, and I want to tell you, you you definitely definitely the gentleman in the scholar yourself. You know, oh, even you. from down in Guilford College, from when thank we first you. met. And then you know, and, and the way the way you, you you didn't have a big head when you, when I was talking with you. You were like a regular guy. You know what yeah. I mean? Even though you were star. So thank you know, I'm I'm just letting you know, even from my kids and everything else. I, you know, I watch you. You know, and 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 believe me, you know, I have a whole Hey, world, we know you're pulled over yes. on the side of the road. You're traveling, but can we indulge you to spend one more segment with you? Would that be all right? Sure, sure. No problem. And, and Joe, it. same for you? 
Sure, Al Carnell pays for the ticket if the There he goes. I want to talk about that 84-85 team, the 2-19 and team, and get some memories of that because that was a special year down at the Coliseum. So thank you so much. So we're going to have World and Joe stay with us for one more segment. So we'll take a very quick timeout. Cavs HQ, we're coming back with more of World Be Free and Joe Tate after this on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Cavs HQ, great to have you with us. And boy, what a fun show we're having. Again, huge thanks to my broadcast partner, Jim Jones. He's got that black book that is just full of NBA legends and sitting in the legends chair. Actually, he's sitting in his car seat right now, but we call it the legends chair World be free. One of the Cavalier legends and certainly a, another legend as far as the Cavaliers are concerned, Joe Tate. They're both joining us here on Cavs HQ. Boy, what a show. This is a lot of fun. I told you guys before the break, uh, in World's four years here in Cleveland, uh, probably, well, without a doubt, the most special year was the 84-85 campaign. This team started the year at 2-19, and and then suddenly just caught fire. They went 34-27 and 27 after that, finished up with 36 wins, but it got them to the playoffs where they engaged in a four-game war with the Boston Celtics. Boston wins the series three games to one, but the total points was dead even between the two teams in those four games. It was dead oh. even between those Celtics te- or that Celtic team and the Cavalier team. So told you guys I wanted to spend a, a, just a couple of minutes on that season. World, when it was a 2-19 and record, George Carl in his first year as coach, uh, what were you and John Bagley and Phil Hubbard and Roy Hinson, Johnny Davis, mm. what were you guys thinking at that point? Well, we, we, we definitely had confidence in ourselves and, you know, in our locker room in the practice sessions. You know, we knew what we could do, so, but we had to find somebody who was going to go ahead and be the leader for that. You know, so and and the thing is, because we had different people come from different places, and we and we had the young guys coming from college, and we we needed to put it all together. And I believe, you know, that's what happened with with the change. And and they 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 they, they were looking for something, and and I knew I had something in me, you know, with them. But I knew I had it. But and I just tried to go ahead and just give them what I when they see me running out there, and I'm I'm early for practice, and I'm I'm late going out. And they'd say, well, wow, this guy can do it. You know, we can do it too, you know. And then I think that's what really started. Joe, when you look back on that year uh, and people talk about the miracle of Richfield with my partner Jim Jones and AC, but I recall, as I told World during the first segment, uh, I was in college at the time coming to the Coliseum to watch those games and the playoff games against Boston. The Coliseum was rocking. It was just a great story. (laughs) Joe, take your recollections of it. You know, I'll I'll give you a little story. When the team hit two nineteen, uh, George Carl was looking for a gun to shoot himself. I mean, he was in a bad frame of mind. And, and Mo McCone, assistant coach Mo McCone, told George two things. He said, "Make sure World gets the ball, and just sit back and let him play. There you Don't go. try to outcoach everybody else." Just sit back and let them play. And that's exactly what happened. The team gave the ball to the world, and everybody had a good time. And the next thing you know, we're headed for the playoffs. Jim? 
Well, the thing that I've always known about World is that his highly competitive nature. And uh, going back even to Philly, with all of that talent, you probably had the most talent on the bench and starting than any team in the history of the NBA, except that old Phillies team that, that Wilt played on. I'm serious, as far as person, personnel. But, World, I could see then, based upon what I knew of you from Guilford and I knew of you the way you were as a person, uh, that traditional style of coaching, you're too young because you're a rookie. Now they play young kids, you know, and so you got to take mm-hmm. a back seat to this guy. I remember those games in Philly when you would be hot and you would bring the 76ers back. I don't know how many times I saw it on television or when we played you, and then they would give the ball to Doc, and he would miss the shot. And <laughs> So, you know, I know you can't He made, he made the it. money. <laughs> right, right, right. Let Doc do it, right? <laughs> you know, in, you, you know. but when you came to Cleveland, it seemed like you were free. Honestly, you know, that, that this was your team. You put your stamp on it. You had fellow New Yorkers like Roy Henson, you know, from Jersey, and those people, kids you do, and uh, tough Johnny Davis, the, you know, who could play tremendous defense. It just said, and the bag man who could find you. Uh, it just seemed like Ed, everything. Edgar Ed, Ed Jones. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Six Edgar ten. Jones. Yeah. Who, who, Joe. Joe, you remember Edgar because I remember you interviewed him quite a few times. Ed, Edgar Jones told me one night on an interview, Sweets, that uh, he said, "Yeah, I can block shots. I block them with my face." <laughs> <laughs> that was that was another Howie Chizik classic. Edgar Jones. Oh, right. Yeah. That's right. Edgar Jones. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so real quick, we only got about a couple of minutes left, but I want to talk about that Boston playoff series because that was a Celtic team that was just outstanding, and you guys went toe-to-toe with them over four games. As I said, the total points when the four games were done were dead even. World, uh, your recollections of that playoff series with the Celtics? Well, I remember this here with George Carl. George Carl, you know, he, he was like a, a coach that was like a scientist. You know, he'll go in the laboratory and he'll mix stuff up, you know, and he'll come out and then give it to you. So uh, he always told us, uh, he told us every move that a person made, every individual on that team, like Larry Bird from Dennis, from Dennis Larry Bird to, to Dennis Johnson. You know, they, they might, they'll fake one, t- the other guy might fake twice all the time. You know, anything that they did, it, George Carr had it mapped out, and that's what helped us really to go ahead and, and get that far. The, the way and, and the problems that we were giving them because we wasn't going for all of their moves and all their head face. We had their plays down packed. I mean, for the first time, I even studied those plays, so it was like you know, <laughs> everything fell into play. <laughs> Joe, that was a great series. I remember some of your great calls from that Celtic series in '85. Well, you know, by the time the Cavaliers, that team, got to the playoffs and faced the Boston Celtics, I really think that team felt they could beat anybody. And uh, they came with the proper mindset. Boston was loaded, and although Boston won the series, they uh, probably had one of their toughest tests dealing with the Cavaliers in that playoffs because Cleveland really came ready to play, and the fans came ready to back them 100%. He sure did. Well, world. Before we let 
before we let you go, we got a couple of minutes left. And again, I cannot thank you enough mm-hmm. for joining us and taking this extra segment with us. Uh, as you look back, what really stands out for you from your days as a Cavalier? Well, just just bringing bringing everything back with my teammates. You know, just bringing it back, and and I like I told that reporter when I first got off that airport uh, at the airport and got off that plane. I said my my objective here is to come and bring fans back into Cleveland, back into this building, yeah. and let them enjoy basketball. Because I know Cleveland was a site basketball town that people know and respect basketball, and I knew that when I was traded there, and that was my objective get in there, make something happen, and just, you know, flourish. I, but, but my big thing is, though, me and Joe Tate, Joe, if they yes, put sir. my jersey up, we need your microphone right by it. Ah, oh, well, <laughs> you were a great one, world, and I enjoyed every minute right you were with us. <laughs> and I'm not supposed to cry during this show. Don't make me weep over here. That's awesome. <laughs> no, that's great, great stuff. Well, and again, that's all in, that's all in good see, because you know they always say you know people like I said at the beginning you know people forget but a lot of people who remember you know it's just a good that's thing. That's right. Well, the both of you, World and Joe, uh, you know where you are as far as uh, your status with Cavalier fans, young and old, and what a treat this has been to have the two of you join us on this show. This has just been so much fun, and we really appreciate it from both of you guys. Great stuff, guys. Thank you. I well, thank it. you thank very, you very much. much, and I appreciate you guys. You guys take care of yourself. Y'all stay, stay focused, and do what you have to do, and stay safe out there. Joe, I love you. Love you too, world. Hang in there, buddy. Uh, all right, I oh, will. That's great, Jim. Big Jim, I talk to you later. Love you. Okay, love you too, little brother. Uh, oh, good all right, y'all be good. All right, you too, world. World, be free. Oh, and Joe Tate, how awesome was that? Wow, Jim, I'm serious. I got a little emotional sitting here listening to those two. There's such a bond between them. I've been all over the country listening to announcers. I played for so many different teams. Joe Tate is the best. Yep. There's, there's it's uh, not even close. I mean, I know he and Chick Hearn come from the same area, but I'm telling you, Joe Tate is the best. Nobody gives direction and geography of what's happening for the imagination better than the great Joe Tate. Thank you, Joseph. Oh, man, unbelievable. All right, quick timeout, more to come. Cavs HQ on the Cavaliers Radio Network. The Cleveland Cavaliers are teaming up with Trusted Sec to join the Greater Cleveland Food Bank for their annual Harvest for Hunger campaign. Cavs fans can help the effort as the Wine and Gold will be collecting items and monetary donations from now until March 26th during home games at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Fans can drop off canned goods and non-perishable items at collection bins located at all main entrances at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. The team will match every pound of food generously donated by fans to double the impact. Cavs in the Community is brought to you by Discount Drug Mart. We'll be back with more Cavs HQ presented by Betway right after this on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Welcome back to Cavs HQ. It's presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Tim Elthorne along with Jim Jones. And again, a great big thank you to the dynamic duo who produced this program, Marty Allen and Kurt McLaughlin. Well, we've been anxious to talk to our next guest all season long. You talk about a guy that has his finger on the pulse and knows the heartbeat of this Cavalier team and organization. Chris Fiedor, who of course is the 
beat reporter for the Cavaliers for Cleveland.com now joins us. And Chris, uh, what a remarkable season this has been. Uh, I'm sure we could spend an hour just talking to you about all the different storylines, but uh, just talk about what the experience has been like for you to cover this team day in and day out. Now, I know you took a, a short leave on the, con- on the birth of your, of your new baby, so congratulations on that. But uh, just talk about what this season has meant and how it's unfolded. Yeah, I think it's just really exciting to see a young group come together this way to exceed expectations, to overachieve in, in many cases. I mean, depending on the odds maker that you looked at, guys, at the beginning of the season, the Cavs were projected around 27 wins, and they reached that mark at January 22nd. And this is always the fun part to me about a rebuild, where the games matter, where the results matter. It's funny because covering the team in the previous three seasons, it was always about the big picture. It was about individual stories. It wasn't about the game itself. People didn't care about the game itself because the results didn't matter as much because they won 19 games and then 19 games, then 22 games. So this is the fun part about the rebuild is emerging from the darkness and starting to see the light of what this thing can actually turn into. Um, the Cavs, I think they would even admit, are a little bit ahead of schedule being in the playoff mix in the top six in the Eastern Conference, which is a really, really tight race. But they play the right way. J.B. Bickerstaff has got them believing. The growth of Darius Garland has been unbelievable. Evan Mobley, seeing him transform into what um, he already is, the rookie of the year frontrunner, and then thinking about his potential five, ten years down the road has been really, really exciting. So just a really good group of guys to cover and a lot of different storylines, like you mentioned, Tim, but the biggest one is the fact that they have all bought in and they have gotten to this point with a unique style and they're ahead of schedule, I'd say. Chris, maybe you've answered it in the, that commentary, but but I know you probably get the same thing we get. Everywhere we go, everybody's talking about how they how they like to watch this team. Yes, yes. I guess uh, sales are up in apparel over 150% of viewership. Uh, Bally's having one of his best years. In fact, it's probably rivals our 2016 year as far as viewers. Uh, So so everything is up. What in specific are they talking about when they say, I like watching this team? I think a lot of people around the league, guys, uh, fans included, and in, in I, I just think they like latching on to these young up-and-coming teams. Uh, you saw it last year with the Atlanta Hawks. I think you're seeing it this year also with the Memphis Grizzlies. If you're just a casual fan and you're kind of tuning in, you want to see a fun, exciting brand. Um, this is the kind of team that had so little expectations and they've exceeded that that they're easy to latch onto, they're easy to root for, they're easy to like, they play super hard. They have a fun, exciting style on the offensive end with Darius Garland throwing lobs to Evan Mobley and throwing lobs to Jared Allen. And it's a young team that you can latch onto and you can grow with. You can grow with Darius Garland, you can grow with Evan Mobley, you can grow with Jared Allen, Lowry Markinen, the same thing. And I think those are the kinds of teams that fans find themselves latching themselves onto and and following for the next five to 10 years. 
Again, we're talking with Chris Fedor from Cleveland.com. He's the Cavs beat reporter for Cleveland.com. And Chris, I want to allow you to pat yourself on the back a little bit because circling back to your initial comments where you mentioned not a lot of people saw this coming, but I follow you on Twitter. I read your columns. (laughs) And at the beginning of the year, I don't know if you would have said 39 and 29, but you were ahead of the so-called experts as far as the progress this team could make this year. Uh, What gave you that belief? I just thought, guys, there was some wiggle room for them to get better with individual growth. Um, Saw some flashes with Darius Garland, especially after the arrival of Jared Allen at the trade deadline last year. Um, Knew that Isaac Okoro, or believed at least that Isaac Okoro would be better in his second year as opposed to his first year. Had a lot of people that I talked to around the NBA um, and in college basketball tell me that Evan Mobley was going to make a bigger nightly impact than a lot of people expected, even if that didn't mean that he was going to put up these gaudy numbers that, that we've seen from rookies in past years. And he's done that too, by the way. So um, I just felt like with, with the young players that, that they had, a lot of people were measuring the Cavs' success the wrong way in the previous three years. I looked at it from a situation, and I know it's a bottom line business, and I get that. And it's always hard to overlook a record. But the way that I approached it in the previous three years was, you know, um, what they were doing individually and independent of success. Because it would have been like trying to um, evaluate a house for a flip when the master bedroom wasn't done. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people were looking at their record and their record is a final judgment. And the Cavs for the previous three seasons, they weren't ready for a final judgment. It wasn't fair to put that final judgment on them because a final record is you against the other team. But there were individual components that you could tell had them headed in the right direction. And there were individual successes that were happening in the first three years that you thought, okay, you know, with a little bit more talent, um, with a little bit more structure with the addition of Ricky Rubio and some other veterans buying in like Kevin Love, like there could be something here that could make the final product finally a little bit better. You know, uh, Chris, I was just thinking about what you said uh, when you mentioned about Garland, how he ended last season, even though Mm. the majority of those games, you know, it's easy to say he's special, but this team goes nowhere without him. He proved that when he had his back injuries, and I'm sure he's still having issues with it, but he's gutsy enough to go out there and play. Talk a little bit about Garland. Well, I sat down with Darius in Miami, guys, recently, and and I was asking him just about this evolution that he made. And he continues to point to Team USA and his time with the select team and his time being in that environment and being around Kevin Durant. And one thing that he said to me that resonated was that, you know, KD kept telling him to be aggressive. KD kept telling him to be confident. And Darius came back from Team USA with a different level of confidence. You could just see it. He believed that this was his team. He believed that this was his offense. And he felt that he was good enough for it to be his team and his offense. And J.B. Bickerstaff has empowered him in a different kind of way. He's given him the keys. And he's allowed him to be the driver. 
And yeah, I think the addition of Ricky Rubio has helped Darius a lot in terms of being his mentor and showing him some things on the court that Darius has picked up. But the time with Team USA, where he was surrounded with the game's best and felt like he belonged and felt like he deserved to be there and played really, really well in practices and scrimmages from all the people that I talked to that were there in Team USA. I just think it instilled a belief in Darius. And the other thing with Darius, and I was talking to somebody with Team USA about this. When he, so one of the toughest jumps to make is high, sc- high school to college. And then college to the pros is another jump. Darius, as a rookie, had to make those two leaps in the same calendar year. And it was really, really hard on him. And his rookie year was not good. He would be the first one to admit it. Statistically, he was the worst player in the NBA in his rookie season. Um, So it was hard for him to get back to the level after going through that where he believed in himself and he trusted himself and he felt like he belonged. And I think Team USA gave him that feeling. Boy, great points. Again, Chris Fedor, our guest on Cavs HQ, presented by Betway. Great insights from the Cavs beat writer for Cleveland.com. We'll take a quick time out, and when we come back, we'll have more from Chris. So stay with us on Cavs HQ, presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. Welcome back, Cavs HQ, presented by Betway. Tim Elkhorn, along with Jim Jones. Thrilled to have with us this week, Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com. He covers this Cavs team day in and day out all season long. And Chris, during the first segment, we talked about that this team has really exceeded expectations. And yet, the vision that Kobe and JB had never wavered. Talk about that and what the front office has meant to the growth of this team. It certainly goes to the players, but it was the vision of Kobe and JB that brought it together. Would you agree? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And it's funny, too, because Kobe Altman was being judged, again, by a final record. And I thought that was incorrect. I thought you had to look at the individual moves that he made and ask yourself, in each one, did that make the Cavs better? Could you see the vision independent of the win-loss record for the previous three years? And if you started to look at his resume that kind of way, He hit it out of the park with Darius Garland, the fifth overall pick, right? A lot of people said there was a lot of noise. Hey, you can't draft another guard. You already have Colin Sexton. What are you doing? But what would this rebuild look like if the Cavs would have drafted Jarrett Culver or Rui Hachimura instead of Darius Garland? They're not in the same position that they are. And then, obviously, JB and Kobe made a big commitment to improving the defensive end. It started with Jared Allen, the trade for him. And then, of course, Isaac Okoro coming fifth overall in the draft in 2020. And then, of course, Evan Mobley coming third overall. And they decided, hey, look, some of our best players happen to be seven feet tall, but we've got to find a way to get them all out there on the court. Maybe the NBA is going with this small ball revolution. But what's best for us, and that's a key point because it's always about what's best for you, and you have to match your system to your individual talent, the Cavs decided it was best for them to play three seven-footers and find a way to make it work and lean on the size and skill that they have. Um, And the size and skill that they have 
has given them an advantage over teams. It's made them different than some of the other teams. Yeah, it was sort of like, uh, if you go back, just to break down what you're saying, Jared Allen was not the feature of that trade. You know, it was Harden, you know. Yeah. So, so he was almost like a throw-in just for the dollars and the economics to make it work. Yep. When you had Lori Markkinen, who had fell out of favor and it looked like they were trying to destroy the kid, the way they were playing him and not playing him. And then all of a sudden, everybody, the, the first two picks in the draft went traditional. They went safe. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, they really did. You know, they were looking at that, that Jordan-esque type of ability, the super athletic kid, 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six, yeah. and, uh, and here's a guy who totally dominated one of the toughest conferences in college. So it seems like he just fell into their hands. I call it being, I call it opportunistic. But to get to tall ball, what are they saying? What are other writers saying, especially early in the year when they saw the three seven-footers out there? I think everybody was saying, what the hell are the Cavs doing? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> are, are they serious? Don't they realize that the natural center is dead in the NBA? Yes, right. Don't they realize that it's about three-pointers and pace and space <laughs> and uh, small ball? Like, what the hell are the Cavs doing? I mean, I remember asking J.B. Bickerstaff. I said, uh, are you serious? <laughs> like, what are you doing here? You're starting Lowry Markinen at small forward? Really? Is this going to work? You're putting Evan Mobley and Jared Allen together in the same front court? Is this really going to work from a spacing and offensive standpoint? And and everybody in the organization, from Kobe Altman down, um, even Jared Allen had some questions about it initially. But everybody from the organization top on down, once they saw it in training camp and in these practices, they were like, hey, this could work. This could make us different. This could separate us from these other teams around the NBA. And it has. Opponents have had to adjust to them, not the other way around. And Jim, I want to go back to something that you said about that Jared Allen trade, because there are layers to that. And I think that's one of the things that some people miss when it comes to trades in the NBA. They are a series of chess moves. Sometimes it's the move after the move, right? I I hear you. If you think about the Jared Allen trade, um, yes, it was about Jared, no doubt about it. But if the Cavs don't have the cap space to take on Torian Prince, mm. they don't have the Torian Prince contract to get Ricky Rubio. Mm. If they don't get Ricky Rubio, they probably don't play nearly as well offensively and defensively at the beginning of the season and get themselves into playoff contention. And then Rubio goes down. And if they didn't have Rubio, They don't have Karis LeVert right now because they wouldn't have found the contracts in order to match the expiring contract that the E&M Pacers wanted in order to rebuild. So it wasn't just Jared Allen. (laughs) That's a great, great point. So, Chris, with a couple of minutes left, uh, as we look ahead, we're down to 14 games to go and a playoff push. What do you anticipate and what are you looking for in these final 14 games? I just think it's can they hang on, right? I mean, these 14 are really, really tough. And and I hate to put it this way because this is the time that you're going to see what the Cavs are made of because I feel like they have shown themselves in in who they are. But, I mean, they've never been in this kind of situation. Many of the guys have never been in this kind of situation. 
where it's a playoff race, where the games matter in March and April. And there's a different level of pressure. There's a different level of expectation when you've been in the playoff race the entire season. So, you know, how do they hang on? Um, They have overcome a lot throughout the course of this season. So many injuries, COVID. um, Can they continue to overcome this adversity and these obstacles in their way down the stretch? Can they hold off Toronto, which, you know, they have guys that have been there, done that. Can they hold off Brooklyn, which has the third easiest schedule in the NBA the rest of the way in KD coming back and playing at an MVP level again? That's obviously what I'm going to look for, because I think there are always steps, guys, that young teams need to take in their evolution and maturation. And I think it's critically important for this young group to get a taste of a playoff series. What does it look like? What does it feel like? How do you combat the adjustments that the teams make throughout? What is a seven game series and the pressure of that take in order to win? Um, and if, if, if they didn't get that opportunity because they, they fell to the play-in tournament and then they lost two games in the play-in tournament and didn't actually get to a playoff series, I think that would be one tough for the organization to swallow and two unfortunate for their growth and their development. Because again, I think there are steps that every young team needs to take. And the step that Atlanta was able to take last year, Memphis was able to take last year. I think the Cavs need that step. Boy, I 100% agree. Well, Chris, we barely scratched the surface, but uh, the clock says we got to let you run, but Uh, I promise you, we will invite you back before that postseason begins, whatever the format and the scenario may be. But, hey, we really appreciate it. Great insights from you, my friend. Great stuff, Chris. You guys know how to get in touch. Anytime you want me on, I'll come on. Thank you. Terrific. We appreciate it. Chris Fedor, Cavs beat writer from Cavs.com, joining us. And, again, follow him on Twitter if you aren't already, because his insights and analysis are spot on. Thanks to Chris for appearing. We'll take a quick time out and wrap it all up on Cavs HQ, presented by Betway, after this on the Cavaliers Radio Network. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Cavs HQ, presented by Betway on the Cavaliers Radio Network. What a special show. Boy, we hope you enjoyed that conversation from February of last year between Joe Tate and world be free. Of course, Joe left us far too soon, uh, just a little over a year ago, March 10th of 2021, he passed. And of course, world be free next Saturday will be honored by being inducted into the Cavs wall of honor. So we thought it would be fun to hear that conversation between those two Cavs legends that took place just a little over a year ago. And then of course, a great big thank you to Chris Fedor, from Cleveland.com for joining us to talk Cavs basketball. Boy, his insights are just fabulous. Jim Jones, thanks to you. Kurt and Marty, thanks to you. I'll be back with you folks again tomorrow night. Cavs and 76ers at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. That game will tip off at 7, meaning the Huntington Tip-Off Show will come your way at 6.30 on the Cavaliers Radio Network. So until then, Tim Elkhorn saying thank you very much for listening and so long, everybody.